This episode of the Wolf of All Streets podcast is sponsored by Horizon and Whalefin. Please stay tuned for more information on them later in the episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times every week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, trading, finance, music, art, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, there are a lot of huge projects that have been massively successful in the crypto space, but people forget that a lot of those had to start somewhere. And they all started with coin launches on platforms like Coinless. I'm talking about Solana, Filecoin, Algorand, some of the biggest names in the space. Well, today I have their CEO, Graham Jenkins, here to talk about how these coins are launched, how they choose their coins, but also to talk about a recent survey that they did talking about the biggest trends coming in 2022. Graham, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me, Scott. Great to be here. So for those who don't know the quick background, what is CoinList and why did you start it? Yeah, CoinList is a premier token sales platform, as you mentioned. So we uh, uh, go out there and try to find some of the best new emerging teams in crypto and try to help them be successful, whether it's helping them raise capital, build their communities. Uh, there's a ton of different ways that we, we try to help them be successful. And uh, as you mentioned, we've helped teams going back to Filecoin in 2017. That's really where we got our start. Uh, a bunch of other teams, including, as you said, Solana, Algorand, uh, more recently, Immutable X, Amina in the last 12 months. Uh, and there's, a, there's a, a pipeline of many more on their way. So, uh, and that's really what we're passionate about, we're passionate about trying to uh, accelerate the advancement of this technology. Uh, and the best way that we know how to do that is by going out into the ecosystem, uh, talking with founders, talking with teams, trying to find the best teams that are really trying to push the boundaries of what this technology can do, uh, and then giving them all the tools to be successful. Uh, and so that's, and uh, in terms of how we got into the space, uh, really, in a lot of ways, we got into the space because we, we, saw, we saw a lot of uh, garbage in crypto, uh, especially in the 2016, 2017 timeframe. Uh, we were all at a company called Angelist, uh, which I'm not sure how familiar you are with Angelist, but very <laughs> okay. Yeah, so yeah, Angelist was started by uh, Bob Nivy and Naval Ravikant in 2010. Uh, it's really a platform for startups. It's a startup for startups, and uh, you know, I met. Uh, I could tell you the full story. Um, you know, sure. I met uh, Naval back in 2010 when I was uh, kind of going through the process of. Uh, exiting Google. I'd been at Google for a while, uh, mainly working in the ad space there. And, uh, you know, just like uh, every other clown in Silicon Valley, I had my own startup ideas, had my pitch deck, and uh, was out there just trying to get uh, some uh, angel investor support for, for what I was doing. And, uh, you know, one of the investors I met through that process was Naval. <clears throat> and Naval, uh, I don't know if you, if you know Naval uh, well, but uh, Naval's a super nice guy, a really generous guy. Uh, he's also very direct. Uh, doesn't want to waste any time. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit, a bit about some of my ideas and, uh, and he was just like, look, why are you doing any of this stupid stuff? You should just come, come and join me at Angelist. And, uh, and yes, I got, I, got, uh, I got plugged into Angelist pretty early on, um, a little bit after they... Uh, uh, found uh, or helped the Uber team uh, connect with their angel investors uh, way back in 2010, 2011. And uh, yeah, just fell in love with what the angels team was doing, what their mission was, really trying to accelerate the advancement of technology more broadly. 
And uh, we did a bunch of stuff in AngelList from a regulatory standpoint as well, uh, helped introduce crowdfunding into the US via the Jobs Act. Uh, and then uh, in 2015, 2016, 2017, started to see what was going on in crypto with ICOs. And we got really excited about that as a technology, uh, not just for uh, uh, from the standpoint of crypto itself, but also from the perspective of uh, the ICO as a mechanic to help uh, any new emerging technology company raise capital. And uh, But there was a massive problem, obviously, which is that, and still is in a lot of ways, is that there's, there are a lot of scam projects out there. And so what we wanted to try to do was, was keep a high bar, find high quality teams. Uh, and also we came up with a regulatory framework uh, that sort of met some of the requirements from a, a compliance perspective, uh, help these teams raise capital, do it compliantly, try to keep um, uh, the regulators somewhat happy and uh, also protect investors along the way. So, uh, so that's essentially what we did with the, the Filecoin uh, ICO, uh, help those guys raise over 200 million with that ICO using the framework we developed, using the compliance infrastructure we built at Ageless. And uh, because that was so successful, we got a massive amount of inbound interest from, from other teams who uh, wanted to use the same framework. And uh, because uh, we got so much inbound interest, we decided to spin this thing out as its own company. And, and so that was in August, 2017. So that's how we got started. Long story. Yeah, long story, long story, but relevant. And uh, I love how you brushed over Google. I was at Google for a while when in fact, you basically redesigned all of Google AdWords, which is like the most profitable uh, platform on the planet, right? Uh, online. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, big team involved in that, obviously. But yeah, I was, I was definitely kind of leading the, the redesign efforts on AdWords, and uh, yeah. you know, awesome, awesome people at Google, and uh, you know, great experience working there. I actually, I grew up with one of the first people there, Craig Silverstein. Um, was a very impressive, very impressive guy. But and speaking of people, I met Naval. You said, do you know him? I don't, but I met him at Michael Saylor's house about uh, two months ago and was legitimately starstruck for one of the first times <laughs> in my life. I don't know why. I, you know, I, I I DJ'd and like did music and stuff for twenty years. I met everyone. I was actually almost legitimately starstruck by by Naval. But you you sort of touched on this before. And I was kind of laughed. You said 2016, 2017, there was so much garbage in the crypto space. Well, if you thought yeah. that was a garbage heap, what do you think of 2022? We have like 20,000 projects, right? I mean, there's got to be 20,000 coins now. How do you sift through that? I know your mission is to find the good teams, find the good projects, the one that will be impactful. But how much trash do you have to sift through to find those good projects? Yeah, a lot. I mean, it is, uh, I mean, right now we're at the point where it's it's very difficult for us to sift through the inbound uh, just because we are literally talking about thousands of projects that are, are reaching out to us to, to list on CoinList or run their offering on CoinList. And uh, so, yeah, now it's, it's uh, there's a couple of different um, techniques now that we're using to, to source deals. Uh, a lot of it, frankly, is just coming through our investor network. You know, we've right. got um, a great community, not just investors on the platform, but investors in CoinList. And uh, they, uh, they refer deals to us. And that ends up kind of forming the, the kind of core of the set of projects that we're looking at. Uh, we also run a, uh, a seed, what we call CoinList Seed, is a virtual demo day. Uh, we do that three to four times a year. And we're just about to do one next month. And, uh, you know, that's essentially a, another process where companies apply to us. We take a look at a, a number of different dimensions to try to evaluate them. 
uh, and then come up with eight to 10 projects that then pitch uh, a group of folks from our investor community. And that ends up being another, another source of, uh, of uh, projects. But, uh, but yeah, it's tough. And uh, the volume has, has, it's definitely gone, gone crazy. I think, I think the big difference between 2016, 2017 and now is that uh, the the quality of the teams that we're seeing on average is just, is much higher. Like we're seeing a lot of engineers, a lot of developers, a lot of entrepreneurs coming over from web to large kind of, you know, the, the Googles, the, the Facebooks, et cetera. So a lot of those developers got interested in, they must've got interested in blockchain, uh, blockchain in the last couple of years and have uh, just with all the capital moving into the space, uh, have decided to jump in and try their hand. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's almost riskier for them to stay at large right. big tech, just given all the opportunity that, that exists in the blockchain world. So, uh, so the, the quality of teams has increased dramatically and that's actually making it a lot more difficult to filter through the teams and, and decide who we, we uh, end up working with. Which is probably why we see so many billions of dollars coming into venture capital in crypto now. Every day, it seems like there's another yeah. billion dollar fundraise because there, there's right. so much quality material that needs to be funded. Another big difference, I would say, from 2017, in my estimation, is that projects don't raise a billion dollars that they don't need anymore. <laughs> right? At that point, it was just gratuitous. You just literally took any as much as would come and... Oh, you know, a startup that might have needed five million dollars would have a billion dollars to to operate, right? And then they lost it, of course. But. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, the capital that's being raised right now is uh, it's it's not at, at the billion dollar level, but uh, it's definitely uh, large. And I think in a lot of ways, it's it's you know mainly because a lot of these projects, this is almost like especially when they get to the public sale stage. Uh, I mean, that's effectively their last fundraise, or potentially their last fundraise. And so the funds they raise at that stage, at that point at which they're launching mainnet, those funds are meant to last potentially indefinitely. And so it's um, that does kind of force a lot of pressure on these teams, uh, protocol teams, to to raise large amounts of capital. Uh, but but yeah, now we're definitely seeing much more reasonable plans for how that capital is being deployed, and uh, and it is being deployed. So uh, so yeah, a little bit little bit different to the 2017 rush. Right. It's my understanding there's effectively two sides to what you do. Obviously, you've described everything from a project perspective, how you fund them, how you help them, how you facilitate them. Then there's, of course, the launch, which is what's accessible to the public. So let's, let's talk about how somebody can actually invest in these projects early, which is a huge problem for people, right? They, they want to get in and, and often can't, based on nationality or other qualifications, KYC, uh, accreditation, all of these things. So how does somebody actually invest early in a project on Coinless? Good question. It's uh, there. There is incredible demand right now, and uh, you know we we have a global audience. You know when we got started in 2017, our, our main focus was on uh, U.S. accredited investors, and so we ran uh, for the Falcoin sale as an example. That was run as a Reg D 506C sale, which means that we effectively needed to collect uh, accredited investor status evidence. Uh, from all those that participated, and uh, you know, again, for for us, what we were really trying to do is establish a uh, from a compliance perspective, and really try to build trust within the investor community that this is a platform that's trying to do things the right way. Uh, it's a clean, well lit place for participating in in token sales, 
And uh, that was 2017, very much a, a big focus on compliance, US accredited investors, et cetera. And what's happened over time is that because of a lot of the regulatory uncertainty in the US, uh, a lot of the teams really started in about 2019. A lot of the teams that we work with have decided to block US resident participation, uh, and that extends into Canada. Uh, China for, I think since 2017, uh, you know, the, the Chinese government has banned uh, investor participation in ICOs. So, so essentially US, Canada and China now uh, are banned from participating in these, in these sales. Uh, and so, you know, we, we definitely saw a massive drop off in US uh, resident participation in 2019. We did see a very big increase in Cayman Island participation at that same time. So I'm not <laughs> sure what that means. But uh, but there was definitely a um, trust a, a big shift, <laughs> right? So there was a big shift in participation, and frankly, I kind of feel like it's actually a net positive thing for 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 these protocol teams, mainly because you know back then a lot of the focus was on raising large amounts of capital, and from you know maybe a couple hundred investors. And that focus has shifted pretty dramatically over time. Now the teams, by the time these teams come to us, what it is they're doing is they focus much more on engaging a large community of investors and, and I guess token sale participants. It's less about raising massive amounts of capital because capital is, uh, is freely available. Where yeah. If you're not able to raise capital, then people are like, well, there's gotta be a problem here with you guys. So time they come to CoinList, the, the amounts of capital they're raising are smaller. They're really focused on trying to engage a large community of investors. Uh, and so what, what we've seen, certainly the last year, what we've seen happen is that when we run a sale on CoinList, we end up seeing 900,000 users show up in order to try to win an allocation. And, and the spots available on a per sale basis end up being in the 10 to 50,000 range. So you're going from 900,000, trying to squeeze that into 10,000. Uh, and so that makes uh, the experience for a lot of folks that participate, it's, it's pretty challenging. It's pretty disappointing. And, um, you know, certainly for US, China, and Canada, it's disappointing because you can't participate in any of these deals. But, <clears throat> but from a, even for folks who can't participate, uh, the chances of getting an allocation are pretty low. And so we've, there's a couple of things that we've worked on to try to address that. Uh, obviously, one thing is is uh, trying to negotiate with the teams to see if we can get larger allocations. That's kind of the right. obvious thing. <laughs> let everyone in. Yeah. Let, let more people in. You know, you've got 900,000 folks, uh, you know, and uh, you might as well, you know, try to capture as many of those as you can. So, so that's one thing. Uh, but the other thing that we're doing is uh, creating a, a better chance for those sale participants who have demonstrated the ability to contribute positively to protocol teams in the past. We're trying to give those folks a better chance, a much better chance of getting access to these opportunities. Uh, and that's through a program that we call Karma. Karma is essentially, it looks like a loyalty program, but it's really more of like a, a quality score uh, where we give you points based on your contributions to these projects. So if you're a developer, if you're a miner or validator, if you tend to stake, et cetera, if you've got those type of qualities that the protocol team's really looking for in their community, then we give you more comma points. The higher comma points you have, the greater the, the chance that you get into what we call the priority queue. 
which gives you much better access to these deals. It's a much smaller queue. Uh, and um, instead of being in a queue with 9,000 people, you in a queue with say 20 or 30,000 people. So the chances right. of getting in just, just much better. And so that, that really helps us drive high quality uh, uh, token holders into these communities. And uh, so that's kind of a, uh, so if you, if you do want to try to participate in these sales, uh, it's worth, you know, being a developer, running, running nodes, et cetera, staking, uh, building out comma points, and then you get a better chance of getting in. Add value, right? I mean, value added investors. I, it makes perfect, perfect sense that if you're going to choose between two people, you want one who's going to actively participate and obviously yeah. be sort of, you know, proselytized for the, for the project and, and, and be a positive influence on the community. Yeah, you know what? What I hope is is that we we would like to work out a way to try to have others. We're talking to various teams about this. Uh, we'd like to have other teams leverage that system, or try to develop their own system that's similar. And, uh, mainly because you know what, and uh, you know Vitalik talks about this from time to time. But uh, you know, in a lot of these communities, the the folks that have most of the the leverage, who if there's a governance event like a voting event you'll tend to see folks that hold uh, a lot of coin be the ones that are really kind of holding sway in terms of how decisions are made. And that's, I don't think that that's necessarily a terrible system, but uh, it certainly cuts out folks that may be contributing a lot to these protocol teams, but who aren't necessarily crypto wealthy. And uh, so if you're committing a lot of code, if you're really helping build a protocol from, from the ground up, and you, for whatever reason, don't hold a lot of coin, you're effectively kind of shut out of a lot of the governance associated with these protocols. And so a system like Karma starts to level that playing field. So yeah, you if you hold a lot of coin, there's, there's advantage to that. But if you're also just contributing a lot of code, if you're contributing a lot from the standpoint of being a miner or validator, that ends up giving you additional weighting and just kind of levels the playing field a little bit. So our hope is that other teams catch on to that and. Uh, either develop their own system or, or use ours. That sort of speaks to the core of the centralization versus decentralization sort of battle and ethos happening within these projects and communities anyway, right? You just described in some, to some degree, the challenges of a DAO, right? Uh, For sure. You, you know, and so I, I think that uh, it's interesting that you're seeing it at that level because I think that those are going to be major hurdles for a lot of projects that are trying to be fully decentralized in the first place. Hundred percent, and uh, you know we were talking earlier about uh, some of Jack's comments recently, and uh, you know I think I think maybe he's he's uh, he's pr he's pretty assertive about going after a specific set of crypto VCs, <laughs> so or just VC funds. But uh, but I think you know part of part of his argument, which I think is good, is that you know the the a lot of these teams that uh, want to try to be central or decentralized. Uh, actually, and obviously, decentralization is a spectrum, and all the time. people are at various points of decentralization. And when uh, you know a one or two VC firms hold massive chunks of of token for that protocol, then it it really just doesn't look like decentralization at all. And uh, so, I think that's that's definitely a problem. Um, and there's, there's certainly VCs out there that, that add a ton of value and are helpful. But uh, so, you know, I'm not necessarily the person to to uh, to poo poo on, on the VCs. And Andrew, Andreessen's about to raise 4.5 billion more. I think they're doing fine. Right. If we're talking about who he's uh, obviously uh, 
going after. And I talk about that sliding scale of centralization to decentralization all the time. And I love that you said that because it's not so black and white and you can make improvements yep. without going all the way. Um, and I think what's largely missed in Jack's argument, and I agree with a lot of it, as you said, is that where the money comes from that funds the protocol is secondary to the effect that protocol has on people's lives in the end, right? Like, I mean, you worked at Google, right? Google changed the lives of billions of people and the way that yeah. they find information. I don't really care who made money investing in Google earlier because Google's improved my life. No, totally. And, um, you know, I, I guess, I guess part of maybe part of Jack's argument to you is that, uh, and there's a little bit of truth to this as well, is that the degree of utility that a lot of these projects have provided humankind, uh, it's certainly nowhere near the level of like a Google or, oh. or Amazon or what have you. But, um, I think part of his argument is that, you know, a lot of these applications aren't actually doing anything for anybody. And, right. and so, uh, you know, a lot of people will say to that, well, we're still in the first inning or we're still, we're still early. Um, you know, there is a part of me that actually kind of thinks that, you know, the development of, of these ecosystems has been uh, an adoption of these uh, technologies has been, uh, it's probably not as rapid as what I would have expected. Uh, there's definitely a lot of charts out there that'll show you kind of the early stage of the internet and user adoption, and then early days of crypto adoption. And it's kind of, you know, one shots late over the, over the next, and they sort of look like they're tracking Hockey. to the same. Yeah. But I think that shot's kind of BS, you know, because it's, it's actually looking, it's not really looking at daily active users, it's looking at wallets. And, and so I think the number is actually lower. I think adoption in crypto is slower than the early internet internet. And um, I don't know, I don't know why that is. Uh, it could be that, uh, you know, a lot of these teams, it could be that it, it is a gold rush right now. So a lot of people are just coming in, trying to get something out, make their money and then disappear. And so that's not really injecting a lot of utility into the ecosystem. Uh, that's something that I'm very concerned about. Um, it, it could be that a lot of these teams are just very distracted, you know, because the, the difference between the early internet and now, I mean, there's definitely a lot of similarity. But one of the big differences is that, uh, you know, in participating in a, a crypto project, your ownership as a team member via token is almost immediately liquid. Yeah. And so you're, you've got that market distracting you with the number, number moving you can up. Always number moving down. Yeah, you always have the option to sell, which was not the, case, the, option right, to sell. In the 90s at all. Right. Whereas in the 90s, yeah, I mean, actually, people were IP, IPOing a lot earlier than where they are today, but uh, there was a couple of years before you get the opportunity to be liquid, and so you're sort of striving to get to that IPO stage. You IPO, and then you know maybe at some point you get some liquidity after that. Um, with these team, with these teams now, it's it's almost immediate liquidity, and uh, and then you know the, a lot of these folks make a lot of money, and then. Uh, and do it within a few months, and then just like, what? What do I have to keep working? Yeah. And so I think I think that slowed down a lot of progress in this space, and um, you know I think that's to the detriment of all of this. So I don't know how to solve yeah. that. I mean, I think markets are obviously really important for crypto, right? These ecosystems only survive because there's a liquid token out there that provides incentives not just for developers but for validators, miners, whoever is 
securing these networks, you need to have that. So trying to get that balance right between incentivizing the teams to really push and innovate and, and stick with these projects for the long term, uh, and also providing that, that mechanic, that kind of oxygen that breathes energy into these organic entities, these, these protocols, getting that balance right, that's, that's tough. We've still got to work that out. Yeah, it's a tokenomics balancing act. Like there's no reason that VC yeah. should get 25% of their coins on launch, right? There's also no reason to wait 10 years. So, uh, you know, maybe uh, 1% upfront and uh, vesting daily as opposed to in chunks over five years, you know, there is a reasonable balance there and a way to do it. But to your point, a lot of them, you know, to incentivize the money to come in said, you'll get 50% of your liquidity in the first three months, right? And, and it's yeah. very, it would be very hard for a VC, especially if they're, you know, managing other people's money in some way, not to take that 100X when they can get it. Right. But like you said, then the challenge is how do you keep them participating four years? Yeah. Later? Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah. On the VCN, something that we're very sensitive to is that, uh, you know, if a team, if a team is launching or running a, a sale on CoinList, um, something that we, we look at pretty closely is when was the last VC round and what were the terms on that round? Cause what we, what we don't want, we definitely are trying to avoid is a situation where, uh, you know, because VCs are aware that a, a project may be launching on CoinList, and we've got a we've got a pretty nice track record in terms of post sale valuations, uh, and so we, with some some nice uh, multiples there. So what we don't want to be is in a situation where um, you know these investors are uh, you know jumping in at a at a VC round, say six months before a coinless sale, uh, specifically because they know they're going to get their 10 to 20 to 50 X on uh, post sale. Uh, and then immediately launch. get there like right. 25%. So, uh, so having that something that we, we definitely want to try to avoid and, and try our best to avoid is acting as uh, you know, somebody that's like propping up these deals for VCs. You know, the, the thing that we're really yeah. trying to drive drive to do is help these teams connect with a broad community of high value uh, token holders. So that when they launch at mainnet, you've got 10, 20, 50,000, uh, you know, rabid uh, tribalistic token holders who are out there really championing what it is you're doing and believe in it genuinely. And uh, you know, what we're not here to do is like prop up VC deals. Yeah, it's a big challenge. So obviously now we've talked about the way that a lot of these projects come to market, uh, the way they're funded and, and people can get access. But one of the most exciting conversations I want to have is what's coming for 2022, right? For you guys specifically, but also just general trends. I read your amazing uh, report you guys had, the five crypto trends 2022. So correct me if I'm wrong. Most in-demand category for 2022 is gaming. Ethereum is not the only party worth attending. Bitcoin stays king. No flipping. No flipping. Cornucopia of distribution strategies. Obviously, we kind of just touched on that. And decentralized software will eat software. Do you mind if we go through those kind of one by one and, and talk about them? Most in-demand category for 2022, gaming. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, so gaming is, um, and actually, you can you can kind of see what's going on in, in gaming if you just take a look at, say, DAP Radar or any other um, site that, that lists uh, like daily active user numbers. Uh, and, you know, the vast majority of say the top 10, I think it's maybe like eight out of the top 10 on DAP radars um, uh, uh, ranking list are games. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not at sort of the, the hundreds of millions of daily active user numbers yet. 
but it's it's definitely pretty impressive. So you've got some teams that have got three, 500,000 daily active users. And uh, so this, there's definitely a lot of activity around gaming from a user engagement standpoint, which we're definitely excited about. And uh, what's great about that is that I think that that starts to solve a lot of the user experience issues that that folks have in engaging with crypto. Crypto is not the most, you know, if you want to engage with a DAP or if you want to do DeFi or whatever, uh, you know, you've got to do your, get your on-ramp in either via Coinbase or else to somebody else. And then you've got to kind of wrap that token or uh, maybe you buy ETH or whatever. You got to move it into a non-custodial wallet and uh, you've got to set up a non-custodial wallet. Uh, you've got to make sure you keep your private key somewhere. Um, and so there's, there's like 20 steps that have to go through before you can uh, make a bet or do anything in crypto and um, really shitty user experience. So I think what... Um, what gaming does is it creates that opportunity for user experience to improve. I mean, games die if UX is bad. And, uh, and so it really is kind of a great forcing function to start to improve user experience uh, with a lot of these teams. You know, I've got one of my kids playing, um, playing Axie. And so it's, uh, you know, the fact that he can do it, is, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a, uh, an indication that user experience improvements are happening in gaming. Uh, and hopefully that ends up starting to filter across to other verticals in crypto. Uh, so that's one thing that we're really excited about. The future of cryptocurrency is a multi-chain world, and you can't have a multi-chain world without Horizon, who allows these chains to be interoperable. Horizon is the zero-knowledge-enabled network of blockchains powered by the largest node system, larger than either Bitcoin or Ethereum, with scalability and flexibility unmatched by others. Blockchains built on Horizon are enhanced by ZK-SNARK privacy tech and provide massive throughput without compromising decentralization. Horizon can support up to 10,000 independent blockchains running in parallel and issue an unlimited amount of tokens. That's why huge projects that you love, like Celsius, Dash, IOTA, GameStation, Hero Engine, and LTO Network are all building their blockchains with Horizon. Anyone can build on Horizon using their platform Zendu, and Horizon is going to issue their own first token on Zendu this year, Zenny Token. If you're not familiar with all the amazing things that this project is doing, check them out at the wolfofallstreets.link slash horizon. That's H-O-R-I-Z-E-N. Do it now. If you're looking for a place to invest in crypto and to trade with and without leverage, earn yield all backed by institutional grade security, then look no further than Whalefin. Whalefin is a new product powered by Amber Group. It combines the institutional grade features of the Amber Pro and the intuitive user interface and features of the Amber app. As we enter the metaverse, individual wealth is being built and managed in totally new ways. Whalefin is an all-in-one digital asset platform serving as the gateway to the metaverse and your secure digital wealth partner. Guys, Whalefin combines the world's best investing technology with valuable investment research. It provides the best prices from 100 plus exchanges and venues, all, as I said, with institutional backing and institutional grade security. If you're looking for more information and the perfect platform for trading and investing, then please go to www.thewolfofallstreets.link slash whalefin. That's slash W-H-A-L-E-F-I-N. Check them out now. I have to ask you though, did, was he, did he also open the MetaMask wallet transfer Ethan, open the Ronin wallet, transfer ETH there before actually playing the game? Because the game can have good UX UI. The game can have good UX UI, but getting to it is very difficult. Yes, I have to admit, I, I, I nudged him along a little bit. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, really, it's, it's a very difficult process. Go ahead and make daddy some money now. <laughs> right, yeah. <it's> a <laughs>
yeah, no, it's still, it's still, uh, yeah, there's still a ton of challenges there. Um, but, uh, anyway, so I think that's kind of one thing that we're excited about is just improvements to UX. Um, you know, the other thing that's interesting about gaming and is, is kind of a nuance with gaming is that, um, which I think is also awesome. And we're definitely going to see this more going into this year in the next year is that, you know, we're not really just talking about games. Obviously we're talking about gaming platforms and, uh, you know, one of our, uh, issuers that we worked with recently, Immutable, uh, they're the makers of Gods Unchained, um, Guild of Guardians, a bunch of other games. Uh, so their games are, are great, but they've also architected their ecosystem in a way that it operates as the ecosystem. So you've got Immutable X, uh, as its ecosystem, as its, uh, Ethereum layer two, and it has its own marketplace, uh, it's a platform where other gamers could potentially develop games on and uh, this, they have their own wallet. So you've got, it's really just not purely about games themselves, but also all of the infrastructure around that, uh, including financial infrastructure. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've, I've been saying to people is that it's a lot, it's a lot like, uh, you know, Steam by Valve Corporation. It's a, a, what these teams are building is it's like they're building Steam, but Steam at a, at a, much more powerful level and uh, steam on steroids. And so, uh, you know, Sky Mavis has done the same with Rona. As you said. Uh, so Rona, not just the wallet, it's really that, that, uh, that L2. So, um, so it's really kind of proving out in a lot of ways. Um, well, A, there's great things about the fact that it's not just about games, but it's really about building gaming ecosystems. That's something that's really cool. The other thing that's really cool too, is that, um, these ecosystems, these, these gaming platforms are proving out Ethereum in particular, Ethereum's scaling model, where you have, uh, you know, because there's no way you can really build games on Ethereum layer one right now, just because gas fees are incredibly high, chain's kind of slow. And so what all these teams are doing is they're building their own layer two. And then, you know, all of the transactions are playing out on the layer two. Uh, you've got gas fee advantages. It's a lot cheaper to, to run transactions there. Um, transactions are, are faster. And, uh, and so, and that will obviously also contributes to better UX. And then eventually they kind of settle those, those transactions on Ethereum layer one. So you still have the advantage of security of the layer one, but all the transactional activity is happening on the layer two. And, uh, and again, it's really kind of proving out one of the scaling models that the Ethereum teams mapped out. Uh, and that's something that, that we're really excited about. By the way, I mean, obviously, it's not just happening on Ethereum. Uh, yeah. There's, you know, gaming ecosystems developing and Solana and, and other, well, uh, other L1s one. too. Ethereum is not the only party worth attending. And that, that speaks to that right there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, um, and, you know, part, part of that story is around uh, layer twos and moving away, just continuing to play within the, the Ethereum universe but either doing that via side chains or doing it via layer twos. And so we're going to see much more of that happening. It's, it's definitely happening right now. Uh, related to that too, is obviously a lot of the, a lot of the other L1s are out there, Solana, Avalanche, Algorand, uh, Near, And, uh, you know, we're definitely seeing a lot of developer activity in, in those ecosystems. Uh, we're seeing a, a lot of money get, get pushed into those ecosystems. Uh, that's encouraging more developers to move over. Um, a lot of these uh, platforms, a lot of these L1s are also uh, developing um, Ethereum virtual machine compatibility. So a lot of the development activity that happened on Ethereum can be much more easily ported 
over to Solana or whatever other chain. And uh, so I think that that's just going to encourage more development away from Ethereum layer one. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely exciting. I mean, it's really hard to de deny the the power of the Ethereum ecosystem. There's so many developers there, and uh, a lot of the tooling, a lot of the developer infrastructure has been developed around Ethereum, Solidity, etc. And so they've just done an amazing job. But I think, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of advantages also to to playing in these other ecosystems. Uh, again, lots lots of capital there, and and you know one other thing that that may ultimately end up playing out here is that you know maybe we just end up not caring what what L1 you're playing on at all. And actually, from a user experience standpoint, you really should you really shouldn't care, right? And it's it should just be about you're either playing a game or you're trying to execute some kind of transaction or you're you're playing in finance, or whatever. And you shouldn't really care about whether you're on Ethereum or Solana or Avalanche or some other uh, layer one, right? I mean, that should right. just be plumbing. That's that's the forest through the trees, right? It's, it's you don't think about how your phone works or how the internet works. You just use it, and that you talk about yep. UX UI. You don't want down the road. You don't want people even thinking about it as blockchain or crypto. You just want to think it as their game, right? They just go yeah. play their game. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, and you know, I think one of the big developments that's going to help us get to that that sort of multi-chain universe is uh, that we are, we are seeing quite a bit of like layer zero or interchain um, activity, like projects like uh, in a blockchain protocol, IBC protocol that came out of the Cosmos team. Uh, there are other layer zero projects that that are in our pipeline that we're looking at, and so that those kinds of projects end up just being one additional step closer to this world where whatever chain you're operating on is just plumbing and you shouldn't think about it. But these chains can interoperate or users can interoperate or assets can interoperate across these chains. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of activity going on in that space. But by the way, I don't want to, I don't want to say that uh, it's not cool to be talking about all these different L1s and it's really interesting. I mean, you know, any anytime a new L1 comes out, like we're always like, hey, what what are these guys? What's their new angle? What are they trying to do? So it's it's fun to geek out on on what these L1s are doing, um, and uh, I'm sure you do it. So it's it's uh, all that stuff's fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Ad nauseum. But I think ultimately, you know, these uh, these teams, these protocols, they're meant to try to solve use cases or uh, entertain or what have you, and so. Uh, you know, hopefully that that's that ends up being the focus in the next year or two. Right. The next one was, a, was Bitcoin stays king, no flipping, which I find interesting. I've been talking about this a lot because at the beginning of 2021, all we were talking about really was Bitcoin, right? I mean, DeFi was bubbling to some degree. We'd had sort of this DeFi summer of wild yield farming and rug pulls, but we were talking about MicroStrategy and Tesla, right? And what companies were going to invest in Bitcoin and what nation states were going to adopt Bitcoin. And then all the money really came in through VCs and all the things we just described, right? The money did not come into crypto through Bitcoin largely last year. Some did, but people want to invest in all of these protocols and the technological side. But you say Bitcoin stays king, no flipping. So maybe that narrative is going to change back? I don't think so. <laughs> no, I think, I think, no, I think Bitcoin, yeah, Bitcoin stays king. Um, and, you know, part of the reason why I think that is because, and, and part of the, Part of what the data suggests is that, you know, a lot of the, 
a lot of the capital that's coming in is actually you know folks who are Bitcoin wealthy, and they um, they're selling off a, a small portion of their Bitcoin to to make some additional bets to try to find the next Bitcoin or find the next Ethereum or find the next Solano, and um, and a lot of that money ends up coming back to Bitcoin after it's made. So um, so that's kind of one one big thing that we see. The other is that uh, we do see a lot of uh, kind of cross-chain or interoperable uh, variants of Bitcoin. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Wrap Bitcoin. Uh, so that was something that yeah. So that was something that really came on big in the last uh, year and a half or so. Uh, you know, partnering with the Bitco team early on to to uh, to help with some of the retail distribution of that, and we did about six billion dollars in conversions uh, in 2021 of, of Wrap Bitcoin. And uh, there's just a, a massive hunger amongst the Bitcoin wealthy to take their Bitcoin and put it to work on other protocols. And, uh, you know, the, these folks do not want to, they don't want to let go of their Bitcoin. Uh, so they want to hang on to their Bitcoin and, but earn some yields via, uh, you know, WBTC, WETH liquidity pools or, or what have you. So, so there's, uh, this, this, we're definitely seeing a lot of resistance to selling off Bitcoin en masse and going into, you know, one, two, three other ecosystems, but, um, and, and wrap Bitcoin as a bunch of other variants of, of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, tokenized Bitcoin out there, uh, but uh, but we definitely we definitely saw a lot of activity or, around those kinds of conversions, and uh, so yeah, I think you know people don't want to let go of their Bitcoin. Um, yeah, perfect sense. And why would they? You know, I mean, it's it's the most secure network, right? Like it's it's been it's been proven over the last ten years. It's somebody it was CNBC or something asked Sam Bankman Fried maybe a week ago, like what three chains or projects are you most excited about? And he said, I think Solana, Avalanche. And then he copped out and said, wrapping everything, right? And so, uh, so <laughs> you know, and, and I think, so I think you would agree, right? And I never really thought about the fact that so much of this money that's flowing in is early Bitcoin adopters who, right, yes. uh, understand it and are willing to make that next bet. That's a really, really good point and not something that I considered. The next one was a cornucopia of token distribution strategies. Yeah. I mean, we saw a, a crazy uh, increase over the last year in terms of different ways that people run, whether it's token sales or airdrops. And, airdrops. Uh, you know, I think, you know, airdrops kind of had their moment in 2018, but then they came back and they came back with a vengeance. Hard. And, you know, I think it's it's uh, something that these teams are really hungry for is like, how, how do I get large communities of people holding my token when I launch? You know, I want to I want to make sure that there are people out on social media, um, people in the markets that understand what we're trying to do, uh, believe in what we're trying to do, and are uh, ensuring that our asset has value because uh, that's going to attract more people to it. That's going to attract great validators, miners, what have you, developers. And so it's it's just super critical for these teams to build their communities even more so than raising capital. And we talked about this at the outset. It's it's uh, you know hearing A16Z raising a four billion dollar fund, and uh, you know just just thinking about uh, how teams are thinking about how they engage with an A16Z. It's it, it's I think it's just going to be increasingly difficult to deploy that capital. Um, I'm sure A16Z and others are going to be able to do it, but I think it's going to be increasingly difficult because. Uh, you can you can get that capital anywhere, and 
you, you don't have to sell the farm to, uh, to a large VC. Uh, you don't even have to sell to a VC at all. Any VC. Yeah, any right. VC, right. You can't yeah. just go directly into the market because there is so much liquidity in, in the long tail uh, crypto markets that you can you can raise you could very easily raise hundred million dollars, and um, and at the same time engage do it on 000. Twitter. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's right. Crazy, but you you really could. What I find so funny, I haven't I haven't had the airdrop conversation here at all, and I know that it's much more nuanced and deep than this. You just talked about why airdrops are so powerful, but I still find it very funny that our community rails so hard against money printing, but love airdrops. <laughs> <laughs> Government free money is bad, but our free money when it goes in my pocket. That's it. That's that's right. We're 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 different, you know. We're different. It's decentralized. So yeah, Um, decentralized decentralized money printing. Yes, decentralized. Right, right. That one's okay. Yeah. Well, I you know I think airdrops are definitely. um, I I think what's what's different now about the way that a lot of teams are approaching airdrops is that they are being much more selective in terms of who they target. Uh, You know, there was back in 2017. Uh, it, it was pretty indiscriminate. Like a lot of teams would just drop in every Ethereum wallet they could find. They drop their yeah. their token, and now it's different. Now it's a little bit more like, okay, well, what kind of user? What sort of brand do we have? What kind of user do we want to attract? Are there DAOs that we may want to target? Let's go target this DAO and drop to them. And yeah. um, so there's, it's a, it's much more nuanced. It's a, it's a lot more intelligent now. And I think that that's good. That is going to increase. I mean, where a lot of the teams that are talking to us have got, um, maybe it's not super sophisticated approach to marketing and targeting, but it's it's certainly way more sophisticated than what it was even a year and a half ago, where teams are very specific about what they want, very specific about the kinds of uses they want uh, holding their token. And, uh, you know, we can help them find those people. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, obviously, like looks, token, whatever, to if you're doing an NF, massive NFT platform to airdrop your coins to everyone who uses OpenSea, right? I mean, that it makes sense. Still kind of some irony in it, but it, the strategy <laughs> makes, makes a ton of sense. And, and then the final one was decentralized software will eat software. Yeah, so it, it's, um, you know, over the last 30 years, there's been incredible um, development, obviously across all kinds of verticals through the internet age, whether it's search, e-commerce, social, uh, finance even. And uh, you know w- what we're seeing is that there's a lot of teams out there that are trying to tackle the same verticals. And uh, for the last year and a half, uh, finance has been a clear, a clear vertical that has been attacked by decentralized technologies. Bye. And uh, gaming is now being attacked. Uh, collectibles. I don't, I don't know if that was a vertical, but I guess in crypto it is. Um, and then, you know, a lot of teams that we've worked with have tackled some of these others, including social, including e-commerce, including search. And uh, so, you know, we're, yeah, we're definitely seeing uh, more and more teams looking at, okay, what are the use cases that was solved by Web2 or Web1? And is there a decentralized solution that makes more sense? And uh, so, yeah, we're just seeing more and more of that. Um, and then I think ultimately, even just by definition, the these protocols, these systems have they have the potential to run indefinitely. Uh, you know, at some point, a centralized company will cease operations. And uh, I mean, it might be hard to believe that now, thinking about sort of the Amazons and Googles of the world. But uh, you know, I went I went through the first <laughs> blockbuster. Yeah, there you go. 
Yeah, serious. You know, I went through the first internet bubble and I was working at an internet agency in kind of late 90s, early 2000s. And, you know, we supported so many dot-coms and zero still exists. Uh, I mean, maybe that's a commentary on how successful we were in supporting them. Or maybe it was, maybe it was I just because so. they, it, it, I don't know. I mean, it was just a, a phase, right? There was just a, a million different ideas, big gold rush, a lot of teams putting their stuff out there and eventually, you know, they stopped operations. And uh, you know, there is greater potential in crypto for, for these ecosystems to run indefinitely. And um, you know, by definition that, you know, has the opportunity to, to supplant a lot of these, these centralized platforms over time. But uh, I don't. I don't think there's going to be a, a complete devouring of uh, of software by by uh, decentralized software. But I, I think, uh, at the very least, it just provides a very powerful alternative, a really attractive alternative, and uh, and and one that increasingly, hopefully, more and more people adopt. I mean, in the world now. Uh, it's, there's not. It's nothing. Not a knock against decentralization or what's been built, but a lot of centralized systems just work better than decentralized systems right now. The Visa Absolutely. network is a much better payment network than any of our blockchains, right? Absolutely, for sure, yes. Yeah, I, I think I think that's totally true. I think also, uh, you know, some existing centralized solutions, while they work great for the vast majority of people, the, they also don't work great for some. And uh, I mean, a good example might be search, and you know, if you if you live in China, then Google isn't that great. There's a lot of censorship that's gone on in uh, Google search results uh, in that jurisdiction. And so, you know, you may want to have a solution that isn't subject to centralized government or centralized entity censorship. And so, in those cases, there may be a better decentralized solution. So, yeah, centralized services for the vast majority of them, they just work fantastic, but uh, but not for everybody. I know we sort of made the, you know, the classic joke earlier. Maybe we're just in the first inning. Maybe we're very early. I mean, is that, we talk about all this stuff that's still coming in 2022, all of these platforms trying to launch. I mean, is your feeling that this continues sort of indefinitely, as you said, and that we just continue to grow with time? Or do you think we get a bubble and see sort of a few, a few companies rise from the ashes, like the dot-com bubble, right? I mean, people love to like uh, kind of poo-poo the dot-com bubble, but it's how you get Google and Amazon, right? And so yeah, do we have a thousand winners or is this just all a uh, process to find the biggest, the next round of biggest companies in the world that are web three? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I, uh, I do, I do think that there's opportunity for some correction uh, in the industry, uh, for sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of what we're seeing though, um, there are so many different types of either applications or platforms or, uh, infrastructure efforts to, to try to make these decentralized technologies work better for people. Um, we're not seeing, at least in terms of the projects that meet our quality bar, we're not seeing a slowdown. We're seeing an acceleration. There's just more and more teams, high quality, better capitalized, uh, very legit, serious teams really trying to push forward this ecosystem. Uh, and that's really what we're excited about. That's what we focus on. And so, um, yeah, I think I think there's a, an opportunity for you know some segment of 
the ecosystem to go through some kind of bubble and that that'll have have ripple effects to to everybody in the, in the industry but uh but definitely the the folks that are serious about what they're doing um there's definitely going to be some really big winners there and we're going to keep to we're going to keep seeing those those teams come out of the woodwork and, and reach out to us. I love that we can see these smaller bubbles now that don't implode the entire industry though, right? I mean, we sort of have like, we had a little DeFi bubble, a bit of an NFT bubble and the, you know, and, uh, and everything doesn't have to crash it all together. I think that's showing that there's potentially some maturity in the market and that, uh, you know, maybe some of these things can stand out on their own without just being affected dramatically by a market-wide move or a China ban or a Bitcoin correction, right? Yeah, we're uh, popping one bubble at a time, but yeah, that's um, good. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's I think it's I think it's it's, it's cool for the industry, and uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, I think the the thing that the thing that I'm um, kind of more excited about as well is uh, you know just just seeing a, a level of maturity in the industry, so so that we don't have, uh, and I can't imagine this completely going away, but we don't have as as much um, kind of irrational tribalism around That's each good. of these protocols that, that we do now. Cause I, I think that that definitely does uh, so slow down. Yeah. It's to the detriment of the industry where you've got, you know, a lot of people, whether it's on crypto Twitter or elsewhere, uh, you know, propping up their thing, shilling their thing and poo-pooing other <laughs> the protocols and yeah. that sort of irrational tribalism, uh, even though it's, we can kind of sit back and, and say, Hey, we rise above that, or we don't have to listen to that noise. Um, there's a lot of people who are coming into the industry or coming into crypto who see that and you start to off. believe some of that or are turned off. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of that is, is, um, uh, you know, maybe that helps accelerate some bubbles popping, but, uh, but at the same time, it also, uh, slows down, uh, slows down progress more generally. So, um, you know, in, in talking about the industry maturing, I think that's that's still um, a big piece of maturing that that we haven't got to yet. I agree. We're way too small. We're way too small as an industry to not sort of cheer each other on and work together. Right. It's just that no project is big enough to dominate at that level where you can be a maximalist about it. In my opinion. But. I, no, no, I'm 100 percent with you. I mean, obviously, the the reality is that um, this is an internet technology. It grew up on the internet, and the internet has its <laughs> bizarreness it's trolls it's tribal tribalistic activity Dark corners <laughs> yeah so all that comes along with it and some of that's really fun uh, but i think i think net net it's it's probably slowed things down and uh yeah hopefully we can get over it awesome where can everybody uh follow you after this and start to participate in coinless and the karma program and and try to get access to some of these projects coinless.co that's that's home for us. So uh, sign up at coinless.co. Uh, we also are on Twitter. So coinless wow. on Twitter. And I'm Graham Jenkin on Twitter as well. But coinless.co is the, the best place to go. Most important question. How often do people call you Jenkins? <laughs> you know, my dad used to say Jenkin dollar because he was, always used to put Jenkin and somebody would put S on the end and he put a strike through it. I like it. So it just seems Jenkin like a natural, dollar. the natural mental jump would be from Jenkins to Jenkins. I don't know. It's assumption. <laughs> yes. Jen Jenkin, Jenkin dollar, Jenkins, whatever you prefer. <laughs> now I'm calling you Graham Jenkin dollar. So thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Gave some great insight into what's likely coming in the, in the future. And so we'll be, uh, we're following along. We'll have to have this conversation again down the road to see if we were right. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate your time. Great conversation. And thanks for everything you do. 